Matt's life from childhood to now, so hopefully you'll find it interesting. If you've got any questions for Pat, um, she's going to take questions separately after, so we're not going to open, um, open the floor for questions, but she's more than happy to answer any questions you've got over a cup of tea, coffee, or a cake afterwards. Um, so I hope that's okay. So Pat, thank you very much for uh, offering. Was it an offer? Volunteering, coerced, <laughs> encouraged uh, to be interviewed tonight. So tell us a little bit about your family background, um, sort of where you grew up, any brothers and sisters that you might have, where you went to school, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, I come from a, a non-Christian family, and I can remember my, my mother's mother, my grandmother, and she always had a, a prayer book and a Bible on top of the dining room table. Um, which in my younger days was quite quite common, and uh, the family that's uh, sort of with my grandmother, she used to go along to the Church of England. So I was baptised initially in the, the Church of England church in, in Willenhall, and as a family, um, there was mom, dad, uh, my sister Violet who has special needs, and myself, and we lived with Gran in, in Willenhall in a two, very small two-bedroomed house. Um, on the Lowlitchfield Street, which is actually now the car park of Morrison's in, in Willenhall. The houses have been knocked, knocked down. A uh, very small house, the toilet was sort of outside and round the corner and round the back. Um, there was no bathroom, there was a bruce in the yard, and I can remember there was a yard in front and there were sort of lines across. And the kids, us kids, we used to run in and out of the, the, the washing that was hanging on the lines. <laughs> I can remember one day as well, I was, I was only five when we actually moved house, and uh, I must have been quite tired, but I can still vaguely remember it. Somebody put me on top of the old, you know, the big wash tubs, and uh, they used to have a board across the top, and somebody must have put me on there, and uh, the board broke, so I finished up inside this big tub <laughs> of, of water. Um, but we moved house when I was five, and we moved from Willenhall, and the grand stayed in her house, and we moved to, to New Invention in, in Willenhall. And so I was just five then, and I started to go to school in the New Invention Junior School. And I was only there for a very short time, because it was sort of, you know, post-war, etc. And there was a lot of buildings going up with new families, and, uh, and also schools. And they were building a new school on the Beacon Estate, which was literally just across the road from home, I just needed it. The, the school gate was just across the road, so I didn't have to travel anywhere at all to get to school. And so I went to school at the, the Beacon School in, uh, in New Invention. I went along to the Methodist Church, which is on the main road. It's been closed uh, now. And it was, um, I, I didn't go for a long time, but I, I you know, really enjoyed going along to the Methodist Church. They had different activities for the children. They had Sunday school, church anniversary, which we don't seem to have now. And it was, that was a good opportunity to have a new dress, um, at least once a year, <laughs> for the church anniversary. And uh, it, I can remember that it was one, one of those classes in uh, the Sunday school that I decided that when I grew up, I wanted to be a nurse. And uh, that needed, didn't really change until later. The, ch the Lord changed that. And um, apart from that, I, I joined also the, the St. John's Ambulance Brigade in Wensfield. I used to go on my bike after school. And then when it finished, my dad used to come on his bike. And uh, we used to come home together on the two bikes. There weren't many cars around then, so it wasn't dangerous, you know, going on your bike along the main road from the invention to to Wensfield. I also started to go to the New Cross Hospital. I was only about 11, 12 at the very most, and used to go as a, as a volunteer. I can't remember a lot about it, but I can remember being in the back of the theatre unit, and we used to fold up different sort of towels and things, you know, the cotton towels which they used in theatre, and also sort of gauze, and pack these great big metal um, drums which were then later autoclaved and used in the theatre itself. And so even at a very early age, I was very involved in, uh, in, in a hospital life. We don't hear of any 11, 12-year-olds now 
actually volunteering and being even allowed inside the hospital. When I was 13, I changed to, and I went to St. John's Ambulance in Willenhall, and it was there that I met Jackie, who was a lifetime friend. And Jackie, she, she was a Christian, I wasn't. And um, she, she went to be with the Lord just two years ago. And uh, she often used to say, jokingly, that you know, we got on extremely well as a friendship. And, uh, and it's been a lifetime friendship. And she used to say, well, it was easy because you were abroad most of the time anyway. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but it was Jackie that um, started to tell me about the Lord Jesus. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that um, later on. <laughs> okay. So, you've kind of um, gone through school. Sounds like you did a lot outside of school. Did you not have homework in those days? Pardon? Did you not have homework at school in those yes, days? Yes, so you had to do did. that as well as After help school. at the hospital well, I did when you were allowed? I used to do my gaps as well between oh, no. lessons. I used to do my homework. <laughs> Excellent. So... After school then, what did you, did you go on? You've talked a bit about nursing, obviously. So, you know, what, what, what did life look like when you left school? I left school, uh, I finished my school schooling in uh, Short Heath, in the secondary modern school in Short Heath. And at the age of 15, I started a three-year course as a nursing cadet in the Manor Hospital. And that was a tremendous, really, because we also went to college at probably day, one day a week as well. And it gave us the opportunity, because we were changed from departments every three months, it gave us a, a real insight to um, hospital life. So we were able to work in departments like physiotherapy, children's ward, uh, pharmacy, general office, etc. And uh, so every three months we were, we were changed to a different place. And then at the age of 18, Jackie also started a correct training with, her, with me as well at the same time. And then at the age of 18, we both started um, the Sister Dora School of Nursing in the Manor Hospital. And it was this time, more or less, that actually knew Elsie for the first time, because she was actually doing her nursing training at the General Hospital. And we, we used to come, I'm not sure that she was actually in the same, she was obviously in the same year because we were the same age. But we used to come along as well to the Pelsall Training School, which is just up the road. It's a, now a care home and just up the road. That belonged to the NHS. And that's where we used to come and do our, our training. And so at, at one particular stage, actually while at, um, in, here in Pelsall, in the, in the care home that is now, it was Jackie that started to tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ. And... The girl that I normally shared a room with, she moved on, and so at one stage I was put in the same room with Jackie. That was fine because we, you know, we, we got in extremely well as friends. But when she wanted to read her Bible at night, I didn't want that. So I used to get up. You won't, you won't believe this. I used to get up and turn the light off so she couldn't read her Bible. <laughs> If she was in the lounge and she was playing the piano, she was fairly good with the piano. If it, if it were hymns I didn't recognise, that was fine. Because any hymns that I recognise as being hymns and sort of being churchy, then I put the piano lid down on her hands. I didn't like it from a spiritual point of view. I just didn't want to know. And um, Jackie, during my nursing training, she insisted so much and constantly asked me to go along to, to church. And one day I can remember that I thought, if I go once, and I didn't really want to go, if I just go once, then, then that would be the end of it, and she won't ask me again. So I did. We went to the church in the little London Baptist Church in Willenhall, where Jackie was a member, and we came out, and we were walking down the drive from the church, and she said, did you enjoy that? And my answer was, no, and I'm not going again. What happened next, I, I don't understand myself sometimes. Um, but it was shortly after that that I said to her, can I go to church with you? And I, I went along to church again. 
She was so surprised, more surprised than I was myself. And the pastor, who's Pastor David Robinson, he preached on how Christ had risen Lazarus from the dead. When I was nursing, we were being taught, you've only got five minutes to get that heart started again if it stops. There is no way afterwards there can be permanent brain damage. So how is it? I thought, well, how can this man, this Jesus, unless he's somebody special, there's no way that he can bring Lazarus back from the dead. He'd been in the tomb for three days. And so that was really got me thinking about the whole issue of who this Jesus really is. And then during our training, <clears throat> I went on holiday um, with two other girls and Jackie. We went to Aust Austria on a holiday. And so I went on holiday with three Christians, which I wasn't too happy about, but I went. Why, I don't know. But when I came back to the hospital, I'd been working on the theatre suite in the theatre block, and I really enjoyed that. But I'd been changed to go to work on the geriatric block. I don't know if the older ones of you will remember the old workhouse. That was actually the, the geriatric block in, in the Manor Hospital then. It wasn't a very place, pleasant building. And the last thing I wanted when I was 18, 19 was to work with geriatrics. Oh, they're just old people, aren't they? I can remember, you know, thinking, you know, one 70 year old and thinking, she's really, really old. <laughs> but now I love geriatrics now, probably because I'm one of them anyway. <laughs> So we went on from there, and then um, one morning while I was on the geriatric unit, the senior sister and several of the senior nursing uh, nurses were also Christians. And the sister came to me one morning and said, are you doing anything tonight? And me in absolute innocence, I said, no, I've got nothing planned for tonight. What should she do? She invited me to go to Birmingham for a David Wilkerson crusade, an American evangelist. I didn't want to go. But I spent all day trying to work out some sort of excuse to not go to this meeting. And I couldn't come up with a, you know, a decent excuse, really, to present to the senior sister on the ward that I was working on. And so I went. I was a bit bored to begin with, but as that progressed, it was obvious that God was working in my heart and I realised for the very first time that God does exist. And that changed my life completely. I remember going home and trying to talk to mum and dad, the non-Christians. My mum stormed out of the room. Dad stopped and chatted, but that didn't get very far. And so we left things at, at that. And then on the following Sunday, this was on a Friday night, on the following Sunday, I went to, to church in the morning and spoke to Pastor David Robinson and asked for baptism and church membership and was actually baptised five weeks later. That's not quite normal either. <laughs> but the Lord knows and, uh, and it was you know, a tremendous opportunity. And uh, I was so grateful that um, <clears throat> the Lord came into my life transformed my life and completely changed everything. So, <clears throat> having spent years of effectively running away from any possible Christian input, <clears throat> whether it's slamming the piano down on somebody's fingers or switching the light out so they couldn't read, <laughs> um, you then find Jesus for yourself. But then actually what you went on to do then is something that a lot of Christians, I guess, never do. Uh, in terms of going into the missionary field. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came about from you know, doing the job in nursing to mm -hmm. in, into missionary work? Mm -hmm. With my nursing at the, the, um, the Manor Hospital, the Sister Dora School of Nursing, I'm, I've always been very proud of my nursing training, and I'm sure Elsie um, is, is also. And um, for me especially, when I completed my nursing training at the Manor Hospital, I was, I was actually awarded the Sister Dora School of Nursing Silver Medal and also the Senior Nursing Prize. And so um, 
I'm, I'm very proud of the hospital itself and very grateful for the, the training which I, which I received. And so I stayed on the hospital after completing my training for about a few months and worked nights to get more um, experience and then went on from there to do uh, my midwifery. I did my midwifery, the first part I did in um, the Women's Hospital in Wolverhampton and then the second part in New Cross. But it was the old um, sort of cottage hospital part of the hospital, not the new unit of the midwifery unit. And so I chose Wolverhampton basically <coughs> because apparently it had the, the highest uh, birth rate in the country at that particular time. And so it was the ideal place to do your midwifery training. If there are no births, you can't do much. So that was great. And so after that, I went to... Um, obviously, I discussed the whole issue of missionary work with my church in, in Willenhall. And the, the church supported me in all that and the... The pastor of the church uh, advised me to do a correspondence course with um, the Bible College, Bible Institute in Glasgow, and, um, and also to apply for a place in the, in the Bible school. And so I went on to do um, missionary, uh, uh, sorry I've gone past the missionary call, haven't I? Carry <laughs> so, on, right. <clears throat> at this particular time, <clears throat> I felt that the Lord was calling me to do you know, missionary work. And he spoke to me very clearly through Matthew, Matthew 28, and there's a great commission. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And it was those words that the Lord used to make it known to me that he wanted me to do missionary work. And uh, so I communicated that to the church, and so and they supported me in, in, in a really tremendous way, and also the, the pastor of the church. And they advised me to go to the Bible Training College uh, Institute in, in Glasgow, which was just off, it's in Bothwell Street, was, it's now moved. It was near Central Station in, in the city of Glasgow. The church itself in Willing Hall as well was already involved um, with the support of Grace Baptist Mission, which was then based in London. It's now based in Abingdon, um, near Oxford. And their main area of work was India. And so I, I did feel that the Lord was calling me to work and serve him in, in India. So when I completed my, my training in, in Glasgow, at the Bible Training Institute, I went to, to London to do tropical diseases in St Pancras Hospital, which was actually part of the University College Hospital in, in London. And so I completed that, and I, I can remember very clearly one gentleman with leprosy, and it was a, a malignant form of leprosy, and with tears in his eyes, he pleaded with me to, to go to India and work amongst lepers. And I couldn't answer that because I, I didn't know at that stage um, what was going to happen in my, in my future. So after completing my tropical diseases, I went back to, uh, came back to Willenhall and worked part-time at the Manor Hospital and also part-time with the church in, in Willenhall. And it was during that time that we actually applied for uh, the possibility of going to India. I'd already been accepted by Grace Baptist Mission to work in India, but any permits, etc., to go to India were, were banned at that particular time. No missionaries were, new, new missionaries were allowed into the country. And so it wasn't possible for me to go to India. And so we had to rethink the whole possibility of where the Lord was calling me to serve him. And then one of the missionaries that had been working in India, she moved from India and went to, to Spain. And so the opportunity of Spain opened up with Grace Baptist Mission. 
And at a later date, the Lord seemed to confirm that. The things just fitted into place. A flat became available near, just next door to Christians from the church there. And so eventually I went to, I went to Spain. And I can remember I got on the plane and the plane, I've still got the ticket. And the ticket said, London Heathrow to Valencia. But where did the trailer, where did it land? In Barcelona. And at that particular time, so many years ago, I mean, very few people in the airport actually spoke English. So you had to struggle to try and find out, well, right, when I'm in Barcelona, I wasn't sure even where Barcelona was. <laughs> <coughs> So eventually I was bundled into another plane and I, I arrived in, in Valencia. And there was somebody there to, to meet me, fortunately. A similar thing happened to a friend who came out to visit me uh, later on. She finished up in Peru, but she felt the Lord was calling her. <laughs> she felt the Lord was calling her to, to come to Spain and serve the Lord in Spain. And her ticket as well said, I, I think it was, um, where would it be, Stansted which was near her home, um, to Valencia. And she again, the plane landed in Barcelona. Uh, but she didn't get a plane to go on to Valencia. She had to get onto the train. <laughs> so she struggled as well. So well, that was a normal thing in that time. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Sounds like you've got some material, Steve, when you're thinking about <laughs> missionaries trying to fly to a place when God wants them to go somewhere else. There's Barcelona, <laughs> Peru, uh, or Valencia. And, and actually, it was probably harder for you to do your training in Glasgow and understand the language there than it would have been trying That's to get another, another aeroplane in, I can, in I Barcelona. Can remember, <laughs> I can remember going to, we did door to door and uh, I, I, I partnered up with um, a, a gentleman from, well a young man then, um, from Northern Ireland. So he got on quite well with the accent. But I spent about two, three months and I, I couldn't understand a thing. I, I don't know, <laughs> Tim's been here over 10 years and uh, I think we're probably in the same boat, aren't we? <laughs> uh, so here you are in Spain. So tell us a little bit now uh, around sort of the missionary work that you did. You mm -hmm. know, what, what sort of locations? Obviously, we're in Valencia at the minute. Mm -hmm. you know, did you stay in Valencia? Did you move around? Um, tell us yeah. a bit about that. I started off in Valencia, and the idea of going to Valencia was um, to do culture and language study in, in Valencia. So I started off in one language school, and I think I was there a maximum three weeks and refused to go back. <laughs> no, I was just about ready to come home when I had enough. <laughs> and the, the actual school, um, it didn't have a beginner's class at all. So everybody else in the class had been studying Spanish for about five or six years in their home country, and there was me with zero, <laughs> nothing almost, and I just couldn't follow the classes at all and so I couldn't see the point of continuing and so I said I wasn't going to go back and um, the, the following Sunday there was an Australian missionary who was actually visiting the church um, where I was attending and she said well why don't you go to such and such language school they've got a beginner's class it's right in the centre of the city and it's, it's good school and so I went on the Monday morning and spoke to the in reception there and she said, well, we won't charge you, but you stay this morning, see how you get on. So I stayed that morning and could understand practically most of, well, most of what was going on and, uh, and stayed. And so that was, that was brilliant. That resolved that issue within just uh, a short time. And, so, and then after that, I, I went along to um, the university in Valencia and did a, a diploma of Hispanic studies. The problem was that although I'd already been in the country then for about six, seven months, so I had some basic knowledge of, um, of Spanish, but not enough to keep on to you know, a normal class. And the, the speed was almost, seemed quite normal sort of Spanish speed of speaking to me. And so I, didn't, I wasn't able to make any notes because I couldn't follow what they were trying to say to be able to make any notes, and much less in Spanish. And there was an American lad who was sitting next to me. He was taking notes. He didn't need his notes. He could just remember everything that was said and everything. And there was me. It was just going over my head. And so I used to take his notes home and spend the whole of the afternoon, the whole of the evening, and part of the night with his notes in one hand and the dictionary in the other. 
and follow word from word to work it all out. But in the end, it was positive. At the end of the course, I had an, an excellent mark, so it worked in the end. And um, quite early on that, that sort of time as well, I had difficulties with my resident permits. We had to apply for a resident permit every, every six months, but it took about two or three months to sort it out anyway. And uh, so I put the paperwork in, and one morning I was looking after a two-year-old lad who was the, the grandson of the next-door neighbours. And there was a knock on the door, and I opened the door, plain-clothed man, but he showed me his badge, and it was obviously a, a police badge. How do I explain in my limited Spanish that this little lad wasn't my son? <laughs> so eventually we, we went downstairs. There was another Christian family living in the same block of flats and we left the little lad with, with them and they must have explained what was going on. And uh, I was taken down on the lift and bundled into a police car that was parked bang in the centre of the, the doorway. There was only one entrance and one exit, so there was no escape. There was the, the police car. And I was taken off for questioning. And I, I didn't really know what I'd done wrong, and uh, as far as I was concerned, I hadn't done anything wrong. Um, and it wasn't until later that I had a glimpse of what was going on, but when I'd got to Santa Cruz. So I'll tell you about that a bit later on. Um, in the process of that, I was actually arrested several, several times. And at one particular time, then I noticed on the, the desk when I was being interrogated, um, that actually, on my documents to apply for residence, they'd actually changed the name of my father and my mother. And so then I decided that I wouldn't uh, type out my, my forms as I had done before, and I know the little typewriters that we used to have. <laughs> and, and, but I'd rather you know, do them by hand, which was far more difficult to actually falsify uh, afterwards. And so I started to do all my documents then by, by hand. But I was arrested several times, and it was the pastor of the church in Valencia that uh, used to come and rescue me or if I found it out, a note in my post box to say to report to the police station immediately, he used to come along with me. Um, but I didn't really know what was going on until a little bit later, and then I didn't want to know a lot, because the least you know when you're being interrogated for in a dictatorship, then the better. Um, when I left Valencia, it was the camp to the end, basically, of the dictatorship, and then it was going on to the transition time to democracy. So, so uh, that's Valencia. <laughs> okay. So you've been arrested several times um, for something that you didn't really know, but you didn't want to ask too many questions because of the fact that there's a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Therefore, um, sometimes, like you say, it's best not to know. So where did you go from there? That must have been quite scary. You must have perhaps wanted to come home. Mm -hmm. No, um, I, I stayed in Spain, and from then I was, I was in Valencia for two years. And a couple of stories before I go. Well. I love Spanish food. <laughs> but I, I can remember when, in the early days, and I, I went along to the market and bought some sausages. And they looked really nice, and fresh sausage, you know. And uh, they, they kept piling these sausages onto this piece of paper. And I couldn't say to him, that's enough. I was waving my hands to try and stop him putting more sausages. <laughs> so in the end, the easiest thing was to just buy the sausages and, and take them home. But I didn't have a freezer. <laughs> I had a little freeze, fridge, but not freezer. And so I used up what I could of the sausages, and the rest went in the bin. And then at a, a later stage, visiting a family from church, and I went out onto their balcony. And what did I see on the balcony? but a pile of sausages pinned, you know, pegged onto the washing line. <laughs> they were left there to dry out in the sun. And if you just slice them up and they sort of dried out and shriveled up, they were really nice. And I throw mine in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> Another time, it was a, a paella, a paella in, in Valencia. It's the best place to eat paella. Usually it's, it's rabbit and chicken, uh, which would be the normal um, paella. And I was in the, the campsite in, in Valencia, which we'd, we'd sort of built 
for the youth work and the children's work for the summer. And there was a couple of homes which belonged to the people in the church. And I was just having coffee, basically, and, and just hanging around and playing with a, a beautiful black and white rabbit. Oh, it was lovely. And really enjoyed playing with a little rabbit all, all morning. And then we went off to dinner to eat the paella. And uh, that was fine. It was, it was lovely. The best paella you can have is actually one that's actually cooked in a great big dish. You know, they cooked for about 100 people. Uh, and out in the open and an open fire. And they're absolutely delicious. Anyway, we had the paella, we finished our meal, I went back to the house. And where was the rabbit? There was no sign of the rabbit. <laughs> so I asked, well, what's, what's, where's the rabbit? It had gone into the paella and we'd eaten it. <laughs> well, uh, they still Things like that happen. <laughs> the kids still won't let us eat the chickens in the garden, so... <laughs> anyway, so... I finished the two years um, of culture study and training and, and language in, in Valencia and then went on to Santa Cruz de Tenerife uh, to work with a very small church that was just meeting in the, in the home. And <clears throat> I didn't find it easy li actually living on a small island. And so every summer I used to go off to, back to Valencia to help with the, the summer camps for a couple of months. Uh, for the children and the, and the youth to, to escape a little bit of the confinement of living on an island. Because you, you can sort of travel for an hour one way and what do you see? The sea. You know, a quarter of an hour walk one way and it's the sea. And, uh, you know, you're sort of surrounded by the sea and you can't get very far. And so it was good to get off the island uh, once, 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 once a year. But at the same time, it's a tremendous opportunity to work with, especially with children and the youth. And one of those youth um, actually later went on to Toronto to study in the Toronto um, Bible, Semin uh, Bible Seminary, I think it is, um, in Toronto. And he's now a pastor of a church in Madrid. And so that was a real, that was a real um, blessing. The question of being arrested didn't finish uh, in Valencia. It continued in, in Santa Cruz, in Tenerife. Quite a life of crime you've led them. <laughs> <laughs> Did you meet Ronnie Biggs while you were over there? <laughs> and so, again, I, I was arrested several times. I lost count of the times that I was arrested in Valencia. But I was arrested several times in, in Santa Cruz as well. And at, at one stage, um, the young man that interrogated me had a friend who was an evangelical. And he started to open up and say that, um, he, he implied that according to my document, I don't know how much was this was true and how much was information given to me to get him to talk. Um, but apparently somebody of the same name as myself, who came from Kidderminster, had some sort of accident or something, it must have been something major, in Denia, which was just south of Valencia. And that's all I know about the situation. I never wanted to know anything more than that. Because if you are interrogated, especially the end of a dictatorship and time of transition, etc., then really the least you know is, is, is the better. And so I don't know anything more about that. But even after that, I, again, I was arrested. My passport was taken away. My resident documents, which I had, was taken away. And um, what do you do when you're on a small island? You can't do anything. You've got no passport, no documents. You can't go anywhere. And so I went along to the British consulate and asked for their advice and they said, well, you better get a lawyer as soon as possible because otherwise they'll put you in prison and you won't know where you are. <laughs> um, and so eventually that's sort of sorted out itself, self out and I, I can't remember how, but I got my passport back, etc. So they went on from there. And so I spent six years in, in Santa Cruz before going on to, to Barcelona. I stopped in Barcelona for 30 years and I was never arrested. <laughs> That's probably why I stayed there. I did have one problem with the police I'll tell you about later. <laughs> but it wasn't my problem. <laughs> and so I went on to Barcelona and uh, worked in a, a church there for 17 years. Did various different aspects of, of, of church work, which was a tremendous opportunity. And uh, during that time as well, that 
I also applied to the Evangelical Hospital to do the spiritual care of patients in the, in the hospital. The Evangelical Hospital has a very special place in my heart. Um, the work actually started in the late 1800s, basically because it was difficult for evangelicals in Spain, and Barcelona in particular, to get good nursing care, good medical care in the hospitals. And so they decided to start off their own hospital to give care for the evangelical population in the city of Barcelona. It started off just a few beds and then it was expanded, etc., etc. And um, at the moment there's just over 100 beds in the, in the hospital. And I, I really enjoyed uh, working with the patients in, in the hospital there. It was a tremendous uh, opportunity. And the last 12 years that uh, I was with the hospital, um, they did ask me to dedicate that time to the palliative care unit. And the patients were in the palliative care. They would come to us for up to about three months, um, which was the latter stage of their, of their lives. And it was a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous privilege to share the love of God to those who are so near to the end of their lives. And, uh, it, you know, it was a real joy to, to serve the Lord in the, in the hospital in that way. Also, while I was there in the church, we, it was something that started off in just a Sunday school, so be aware, there was just one teacher and one child who was 11 years old. And they had the idea between them to start off a radio station. And they wanted to use the radio station or radio program to reach children of the same age. And so they developed this between them. And then it grew. The church got onto the possibility. And so the church then decided, well, we could do more than that. We could set up our, our own radio station. And that is what they did. And the, the actual building, there were three floors and the middle floor wasn't used for a great deal. And so they start, we started to build and, and our own radio station. I can remember we put egg boxes on the walls to try and break up the sound waves. And we painted all these egg boxes with, with green paint, with little tiny brushes. It took us ages to do. Those egg boxes are still on the walls today. <laughs> it's been I, another 30 I, so years. What, you see that on the telly? I just thought that was a joke. Right? But that's what you actually used, right, for soundproofing. Mm -hmm. Egg boxes. And so, Rather than egg boxes. <laughs> After 17 years in, the, in, the, in the, the one church, I had an invitation to go to work in a church just um, south of the city of Barcelona and, uh, and worked there for, for three and a half years in a place called Gavar. And um, <clears throat> that again was a tremendous opportunity. The majority of the people in the church were actually from South America. And a lot of the actual growth of the church across Spain at that particular time was from people who had moved from South America into, into Spain. And I was there for three and a half years until the, the church actually closed. It was a rented building and the, um, the building at the side of it also belonged to the same ownership. And it was, um, became empty and the owner wanted to develop the whole of the site. And so we couldn't continue to rent that particular building and we couldn't uh, afford a new rent either, and so the church had to, had to close. And I can remember, it was just um, about a week later, I, I, I phoned a, a gentleman, um, another pastor, in the north of the city, and I'd been helping him on the, in Gavar itself on a, on a bookstore, um, which he went around different bookstores, around different markets. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, I said, the church is closed. I, I don't think it's correct to continue to help you on the, on the market stall. And he said to me, well, what do you plan to do then? And I said, well, I'll look for another church that needs some help. And put the phone down. Five minutes later, the phone goes. And he said, well, Pat, you've just said you're going to be looking for a small church that needs help. He said, we're a small church and we need help. And so I started to go there. That was just a week after the one church had closed and I started to go to another church. And it took me about an hour and a half to get there. And so I, I, I continued there until I was 60. 
and decided there's no way after 60 I could cope with a three-hour journey, which was a, a walk, an underground journey, a train journey, and another walk, and also a full day's work on, on top of that. So I decided then to come back to the, the city of Barcelona, and my home was still in the city, and then dedicate my time basically between the hospital work and also the, the, the radio work in the, in the city and, and try and reduce my, my hours as well. That wasn't very easy to do that. <laughs> no. Okay. So <coughs> you spent all this time now sort of serving God in different ways uh, throughout Spain and the Canaries. So if you could summarise, what would you say were the great things about doing that work and what would you say the, <coughs> the hardest challenges were for you during that time? I think the, the greatest things are that it's a tremendous opportunity and privilege to be able to go and work and live in another country and, and also make friendships, have colleagues in another country. I had the opportunity to learn two languages, not just Spanish, because uh, Barcelona is bilingual. They also speak Catalonian, which is very more similar, and the grammar is more similar to, to French than it is to, to Spanish itself. And so that, again, was a, a tremendous opportunity. Work hard if anybody's learning languages. I think as some of you, I think Lydia's work actually comes in Spanish, and uh, it's hard work to, to learn in a new language, so try and support him in whatever you can. And it's opportunity as well, it's tremendous joy that I was supported through the whole of the time that I was working and serving the Lord as a missionary. I was supported by Grace Baptist Mission and also the two churches which supported me. My, my first church until it closed, it closed out a few, few, some years ago now. But when it closed, then I had to find another church, another home church. And it was a church in, in Warboys in Cambridgeshire that actually adopted me. And so I was very, very grateful to, it was a very privilege to form part of that church. And they supported me for the, the latter years that I was, I was in Spain. There's just one, can I make just one yeah, comment? Can. Just, just before I, I, I retired, I retired in, in 2011. And just before I retired, just a few months, I had to apply for my resident permit again. I'd had problems with my resident permit all of the time that I was in Spain. And I was in Spain for 38 and a half years. So when I applied just a few months before um, my, my retirement, I was actually granted a residence for life. But it was too late. <laughs> I was leaving just a few months after. <laughs> so. What advice would you have for anybody who is considering missionary work? Um, if, I suppose if you take yourself back and could do it all again, what advice would you give to somebody about that? I think, to begin with, be very, very sure that it's God that's calling you to missionary work. If you're sure that God is calling you, share that with your church and also especially to your church leaders so that they can support you in prayer, etc. If you're not absolutely sure and the church isn't absolutely sure, you'd be safer not to go. It's hard work and you, if, if it's not God that's calling you to do that, then really you're not going to cope with the first obstacle which you find in a foreign country and especially if you're, you're on your own and you've got no family family support. The second thing I would say, take as long as you can to learn the language and study the culture of the country, whatever that country may be, because that's the firm base which you need for all your future work. If you can't dominate, if you can't handle the language, how can you communicate the word of God? How can you communicate the gospel? So I would say, I always had a privilege, I had two years to do language study and culture study, and that was tremendous. It gave me a huge base to, to start off with. But it also means a lot of hard study. 
I've already said that I spent most of the afternoon, evening, and part of the night with the dictionary in one hand and the gentleman's notes in the other. But also in the, in the holidays, I used to make myself a list of 80 words to learn per day. And what learn, words I what didn't manage to learn in that particular day went on the list for the next day. And that was every day of, the, of whatever the holidays were from the, the university. It's hard learning another language, but as a missionary, you need to do that. And, and also the culture of the people. Watch what they do, do what they do within reason, obviously, if you don't sin, <laughs> that's two things wrong before the Lord. Um, but try and, and, and follow them. You know. Another issue would be when you set up your, your own home, wherever that country may be, you may finish up in a grass hut or something. I don't know if, you know, if the Lord calls you to a tribe in, in Africa. Um, but in my particular case, it was just a normal, normal flat. So make up your, your home and try and get somebody from the church or somebody local to come along with you to, to purchase things like furniture and things. So that you make your home in such a way which someone, a local person, or national person comes along into your home and they feel comfortable. They're not coming into a British home. You need to make your home as they would. And so, you know, get them involved, um, get them to come with you to, to purchase things which you, which you need or rent something which already has some furniture. Another thing I put down is be prepared for obstacles. I'd like to say as well that with respect to God's calling for missionary work, God doesn't always call 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds. He sometimes calls 60-year-olds to dedicate some time of their retirement to missionary work as well. So be prepared. If the Lord calls you, you must go. But you will find there will be obstacles there are going to be difficulties throughout the whole of your missionary career, whether it's five years, whether it's 20 years, whether it's 30 years. You're going to be on the front line of the devil's attacks. And he'll throw everything at you to try and stop you from serving the Lord. Don't be tempted. The Lord Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, and he said to Satan, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So walk closely to God. Walk closely with the Lord. And he will help you. He will see you through those difficulties and those obstacles. And also keep your home church well informed of what's going on so that they can support you in prayer. I'd like to mention just one thing, um, probably to finish. I've spoken about the, the radio work in Barcelona. And tonight I'd especially like you to, to pray for the work in the radio. Just a few weeks ago, the president of the radio station uh, passed away. He's now with the Lord. On Thursday, the director of the radio station died in his sleep and his funeral took place yesterday. Now, we've lost the president, we've lost the director, and what the future is going to be for the radio station, I have tremendous doubts whether it can actually continue or not. So I would ask you, as a church, to, to pray for that work. It's been going on now for over 30 years, and I was involved in the radio work for 26 years, and so it's very close to my heart as well. And I'm just not sure what the future is for the radio station there. Thanks, Pat, for that. So just one last question from me. I know that you're still very busy, uh, even though you're back, back in the UK. So what, what, what takes up your time now in sort of retirement? Because um, I know that you are very busy day to day. Retirement certainly isn't what, what I wanted it to be and what I expected it to be. And sometimes I meet people up in the town in, in Bloxwich and they say, oh, well, I've got nothing to do all day. 
and they, you know, let you go in front of them in the queue for someone to rather. And I was thinking, yeah, how come they've got nothing to do all day? They've <laughs> got enough time to stop. <laughs> um, a lot of my time is taken up because my sister has special needs, and so she's in a nursing home now in, in, in Bloxwich, but even so, though her general care is taken uh, care of in the nursing home, she still needs a, a lot of my time. And it's, it's a pleasure to do that, although it's, it can be difficult. As those of you who have been caring for people that are ill, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. So a lot of my time is taken up with my, my sister's needs. And I'm also involved with the, um, the chaplaincy work at the Manor Hospital. And, and that is a real joy as well, because I, I can't imagine my life without some sort of hospital input. And I think I'll be going to the hospital until I probably can't walk. <laughs> I might go around on a scooter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still try and, try and go. And uh, it, it's a joy really to be able to form part of the, the chaplaincy team. And at the moment I'm, I'm doing the spiritual care of the intensive care unit at the hospital. And when I've, I've finished going around those patients, uh, depending on what time I've got left and how I am emotionally, because as you can imagine, um, dealing with patients who are so seriously ill and the relatives, it can be very emotionally draining. So it depends how I feel myself. Uh, afterwards, I go on to the geriatric unit, which I said when I was younger. <laughs> I didn't like the geriatrics, but I love the ger geriatrics now. <laughs> and so that, again, is a, is a tremendous opportunity of, of serving the Lord. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to pray for Pat now and also um, for the food that we have next door. Again, as Pat says, if you've got any questions for us, she's more than happy to, to answer those over a cup of tea. I'm sure plenty of things you might want to ask her. Um, so let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Pat. Lord, we thank you how she has followed your calling, how she's been faithful in service to you, uh, both here and also in, in foreign lands, Lord, which must be very, very uncomfortable. But she's known your presence, Lord, through some difficult times. Lord, we do pray for the radio station in Barcelona, Lord, we pray that um, your hand will be upon it, that you would give them direction for the future, having lost two key members um, of that team. Lord, that you would show them which way to go next. Lord, we pray for Pat as she continues to serve you, both caring for her sister, and Lord, in the uh, chaplaincy work that she does at the hospital. We pray that you would bless her in that. Uh, keep her strong. Lord, give her the energy both emotionally and physically, to, to do that, Lord. And we thank you for, again for the encouragement that that gives us in how she serves you uh, back here in the UK in, in her retirement. And Lord, now we thank you for this food. We thank you for the provision of it and your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we can have with one another and the different stories and backgrounds that we have, yet we have one common thing, and that's our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.